Hebrews chapter number 11. Let's begin reading in verse number 8. The Word of God says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he hath prepared, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. He that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that you'd breathe upon this place tonight. We know, Father, that your word doesn't have to be breathed upon, for it's already been breathed on. And we just pray, that, Lord, that as we preach the word of God, that the Spirit of God would have liberty to walk amongst these pews and these hearts, to stir us, to, to uh, Lord, uh, elicit in us a greater faith uh, in you and upon you. And, Lord, that you would just shore us up for the things that we're facing, the things that we will face, and let us look backwards on the things that we have faced and give you praise, honor, and glory for the faithfulness that you've shown us through them. Lord, I ask you to bless everything that takes place tonight in such a way that gives glory only unto you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I just sort of, in a cursory manner, uh, counted through how many times in Hebrews chapter 11 you find the phrase by faith or or through faith. And I've done it before, I've got the exact count somewhere, but I counted something around approximately 20 times that the Hebrews writer in this chapter uses the phrase by faith or through faith. Hebrews chapter number 11 is commonly known as the hall of faith and uh, or the hall of fame of faith or however they like to say it. But I think we all understand that this chapter centers on the idea of faith and of the promises of God. Everywhere that you find biblical faith, you'll find the promises of God. For without the promises of God, there's nothing for us to place our faith in. But as you go through this catalog of Old Testament figures and the things that they wrought by faith, we find that there is a couple that is brought to the forefront that's talked about more than anyone else in this chapter, which is no surprise because their entire life, what we know of it anyways, was characterized by the ideal of faith. Now let me say first off, before we get into preaching tonight, 
that when we use the term faith, we're talking about one of two different things in as much as it's biblically defined. Faith can mean a body of revealed truth, teaching, and doctrine. The same way that Jude used it when he talked about uh, wanting to write and, and exhort those that he was writing to that they should contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. It's talking about the body of revealed truth that God had given in His Word and given through the apostles. But then the term faith, inasmuch as we talk about a theological or spiritual ideal, it it is simply this, it is trusting God based upon His Word. It's not merely an abstract or a theoretical thing, for the Hebrews writer defines faith uh, as being something concrete. I don't want to say tangible, but something concrete and effectual in the first verse. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, not meaning that you necessarily touch it, not even meaning you necessarily see it as as an ideal, but rather the same way that when the wind blows, you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind blowing. You may not be able to see a person's faith, but if they have biblical faith, you'll be able to see how their faith moves them and what it changes in their life. So when we talk about faith, we're not talking about something abstract or theoretical. We're talking about the explicit and effectual dependence upon God and His Word. In other words, taking God for who He is and for what He says and responding to that in what is a natural, reasonable, spiritual way. When we look through this chapter, as we've already said, Abraham and Sarah feature more prominently than any other person or or group in this chapter. And that should be no surprise, for the entire record of Abraham's life is really a testimony of faith. And we have four separate episodes from Abraham's life that are mentioned in this chapter uh, in the verses that we've read. And what I want to do is look at these four instances, and then I want to answer those three questions. We can trust God with what, we can trust Him why, and we can trust Him how. The four episodes that are mentioned in verse number 8 were told about his departure from the land of his birth into a new land, a place that the Bible says he went out not knowing whither he went. Verse number 9 describes his dwelling in this land. Uh, he didn't just have to, to leave out by faith. He didn't just have to, have to get there by faith. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. He didn't just have to get there by faith. He had to stay there by faith. Now, I'm not talking about your salvation when I say that. I'm glad once we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're sealed under the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of God, the promise of God, the earnest of our redemption. But I'm talking about as we live and walk with God, we desire to do the will of God and to be in the will of God. It's going to take faith to get you in the will of God, but it's going to take faith to keep you in the will of God too. And so we find in verse number 9 and 10, His dwelling in the land was an activity of faith. In verse number 11 and 12, we have their conceiving Isaac as being an activity of faith. And then down in verses 16, 7, or I'm sorry, verses 17, 18, and 19, we have the offering of Isaac as being an activity of faith. For each of these things, God says they did these by faith or through faith. And I want us to use these passages of Scripture to answer those three questions. Look back at verse number 8 with me. The Bible says about Abram's departing from Ur of the Chaldees, "...by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went." 
I love the way God's Word introduces this ideal of faith in the life of Abraham. It does not say he went to a place that he wasn't that fond of. It doesn't say he went to a place and didn't have all the details worked out. It says he went to a place and he didn't even know where he was going. Abraham could have only followed God by faith, for he had no tangible experiential relationship with God prior to the voice of God speaking to him. In other words, the only thing he had was the Word of God. So if he was going to leave her of the Chaldees, go to the land of Canaan, the only way he could do it by faith. Uh, I think that's a vivid expression of how we are to walk with God. Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. It's amazing to me, and I do it in my life, I'm as guilty, probably more guilty of it than anybody else in this room, We talk all the time about walking by faith, and then we are so surprised when God puts us in a position uh, where we don't know where we're going, where we don't know what we're doing, where we don't know what the next step is, where we don't know what the final solution or destination is going to be. And we always seem flabbergasted by that. I think that's strange. I think it's also predictably and perfectly human, but I think it's strange Because we understand we're going to have to do it by faith, but then when we're called on to do it by faith and not by sight, we somehow balk at that notion. Let me give you the first thing. When we ask this question, what can we trust Him with? Uh, I believe that we could answer it simply by saying we can trust God with anything. But there is such thing as, as an argument that proves too much in legal terms. And so to give you some actionable, some, some, some practical truths, let me say number one, we can trust Him with our plans. I don't know what Abraham's plans were prior to the voice of God speaking to him, but I would venture a guess to say they did not include leaving his family, leaving his wealth, leaving everything that he had, leaving everyone he ever knew, and going to a place and he didn't have a clue where he was going. I would just go, I'd be so bold as to make the assumption that that probably was not on his calendar. But when the voice of God spoke to him and said, this is what you need to do, he made this conscious decision. This is not the plan that I asked for. It's not the plan that I planned for. But I believe I can trust him with the plans for my life. Listen, it's a great and deep peace that you get when you know that God is in a plan. But it's a greater and deeper peace when you recognize that God is overall, even when He don't tell us what the plan is. In other words, it's a great thing when we come to a place in our life where we say, I want God's plan. It's a greater thing when we get to the place where we say, I want God whether there's a plan or not. I just want to be in His presence. I want to be in His will. I want to walk in communion with Him. If He chooses to disclose what that's going to mean for me, if He chooses to give me guidance about what that's going to entail, then so be it. But even if He doesn't, I'm just satisfied knowing that I'm in His presence. That I'm with Him. It was a great day in Abraham's life when God spoke to him again. Chapter 15 said, Abraham... I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. In other words, Abraham, I've been talking about giving you all these things, but I want you to know I'm giving you something greater than all these things. I'm giving myself to you. And in me, Abraham, you'll have enough. In me, you'll have the shield that you need from your enemies. In me, you'll have the provision that you need in the midst of your needs. Uh, Abraham, if you have me, you have enough. 
So Abraham steps out in faith and he trusts God with his plans. I wish I could tell you what I knew, or that I knew what the next few days, weeks, months, years would entail for you. And obviously, listen, there's folks in the room that even tonight shared some, some big needs, some big concerns and anxieties. But I'm not just talking to them. I mean, listen, I've had my phones ring all week with people with, with situations and problems that are life altering. And there's probably other people in this room that have things going on that you didn't even share tonight. And I want to say to every one of you that you can trust God with the plans. I can't tell you what they'll be, but I can tell you that if it's God's will, if it's God's plan, it will be right. Very rarely does life go according to our plan. Listen, not, not even the most militant and staunch atheist can control anything. Uh, I was going to say outside of himself, but they can't even control themselves. The idea of control over this world, over our atmosphere, over our environment is a delusion. Uh, it's a lie that we tell ourselves. And that's one of the reasons it's so maddening for people when they recognize that is because if they don't know God, they just feel like everything's out of control. It's always been fascinating to me that anyone would try to find comfort in, in Darwin's theory of evolution, man. Uh, to believe that that the universe and that this world is just a savage, cold, compassionless, justiceless place that merely steps on those that cannot prevent the foot from falling on them and exalts those that can exert enough power. I don't find any comfort in that. I don't find any help in that. But I'll tell you this, knowing that there's a loving, compassionate, just God that sits on the circle of the earth, that oversees everything, that gives me comfort. And I know I can trust Him with my plans. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, By faith He sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with Him of the same promise. Now, there are a lot of... Bigger truths, if I can say it that, I don't know if you got bigger, much bigger truths than trusting the Lord, but there are a lot, there are big themes going on in chapter 11 about the place of believers in this world and being pilgrims and strangers, uh, of, of our inheritance being in heaven, of our hope being in God. But I want, if I can, to sort of push those things just an inch or two to the side and focus in on one simple fact. For years, for his whole life, in fact, decades, Abraham, he was, uh, what, 75 years old when he left out from Ur of the Chaldees. He lived to be 150. For half of his life, he dwelled in a place among strangers. He literally fought wars with his household uh, to retrieve Lot, his nephew, when he was taken by pagan kings. No telling the things that are not even recorded to us in the, in the number of perils. We have even three or four instances just in the Word of God of times when There was but a step between Abraham and death. Imagine all the perils that he faced constantly. Uh, He was living in a lawless and living in a unstructured society in which the only protection a man had was that which he could secure for himself through numbers and through alliances and through power. And in that environment, he dwelled half of his life living in tents, not living in fortresses, not living in walled cities, living in tents. Let me say to you tonight, I believe we can trust Him with our plans, but I believe we can also trust Him with our protection. With our protection. Our physical protection. For 75 years, He dwelled in these places where anybody could have come and sought to take His life. And no doubt there were people that tried. But for 75 years, every single morning, He woke up and saw the sun rise because God 
had watched over him, had suffered him to sleep in peace, and had allowed him to wake up to a new day. I, one of the things you've often heard me say, and I will just reiterate it again tonight, a, a, a good example of God's providential care over us is to just stop and examine the experiment of our road system and the, the uh, drastic social contract that takes place every time we get on a road. You think about how many cars you passed today, if you did any amount of driving, really just even on your way to church. I I probably passed, I don't know, uh, 200 cars, 300 cars on the way to church with nothing separating us but a couple of yellow lines and common sense. And every once in a while that social contract gets broken. And even today, even on the way here, I heard sirens begin to wail. And yet, day after day, and I, listen, I may come out of here tonight, may go home, somebody may run over top of me, uh, but day after day after day, I make it from point A to point B. That's only by the hand of God. And I'm not saying God's chastening those that get in car accidents or this, that, or the other. God's wise and right in everything He does. But I'm just saying, if God could take care of you in that small of a matter, it's not small to the people sitting down at the emergency room, waiting to hear a doctor come out and tell them whether their loved one made it or not. But if you can trust God in that to protect you, to watch over you, to keep you safe, then what exactly could you not trust Him with? Look at verse number 11. The Bible says this, and this is fascinating, this is the only time that Sarah is talked about in Scripture in a positive light concerning her faith. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Now, Sarah, again, is not known as a person of faith in the word of God. In fact, really, one of the only instances we have of Sarah responding in any way to God's word or God's promise, she laughed at it. And she didn't laugh in a positive way. She laughed in a negative way. She laughed in an incredulous way at the prospect that God could do such a thing. But the reason she laughed was really a rather reasonable one. Because God comes and tells her, uh, Sarah, you're 90 years old, your husband's 100 years old, and you're getting ready to have a child. She wanted children. She had tried to have children. Uh, some 12 years earlier, she had tried through her own scheming to uh, produce a child that would be an heir of Abraham's that she could take to be her own son. And it didn't work out the way that she thought. And I like the way the Bible says it, especially in the stark contrast relative to what God's done in her life. It says that she received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was, and I look at these two words, past age. I thought about it, Brother Don was talking about his doctor's visit the other day and the, and the heart thing. And over and over again, I heard the term, for your age. Does that ever offend you when you go to the doctor when they say that? For your age? Like, what does that mean? For your age, you know? Well, if Sarah had gone to the doctor and said, Doc, we're thinking about having a child, he would have probably said, listen, you're a sweet woman, and you'd probably make a wonderful mother, but for your age, let's just say that's probably not a possibility. She had a problem. Her problem was she wanted something. 
She strongly desired it. And she even had reason to believe that it was the will of God for her to have it. But she didn't have within herself what it took. She had a problem, and it reminds me that we can trust Him with our problems. With our problems. You don't have to walk very long in this life before you'll run into problems. We've heard about health problems. We've heard about relationship, family problems. I could, you know, immediately in my, when I listen to prayer requests, I'm hearing what you're saying, but my mind's also often running 90 miles an hour thinking about other people going through the exact same things or things that are similar. And everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, there's people struggling, struggling. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm not here to preach a good sermon to you tonight. I'm just here to report to you that you can trust God with your problems. He cares even more about your problems than you do. And you say, well, how could that be? Well, because He loves you more than you love yourself. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's the reality of it. She had a problem. God did more with her problem than she could. And God cared more about her problem. By the way, God had a greater investment in her problem than she did. She wanted any child. That's that proof positive by the fact that she wanted Abraham to have a child by Hagar. She wanted any child. God wanted a specific child. God was more invested in her problem than she was. God had a greater interest in solving her problem than she did. God, and, and I'm not saying that your problems are going to be solved in the way that you want, but I am saying that God has a greater interest in your problems than even you do. You're worried about getting the solution. He's worried about getting the glory. And the glory is far more important than the solution. You say, how do you know that? Well, because sometimes the solution is determined by what gives Him glory. And if choosing between the solution and the glory, God always chooses the glory. Look at Job's life. God has a greater interest in your problems than even you do. You can trust Him with your problems. Look down to verse 17. The Bible gives us the last instance here of faith in their life that's recorded in this chapter. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, when he was tried, meaning when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now, in, in Genesis 22, when it talks about this, it says, God says to Abraham to, to offer Isaac thy son, thine only son whom thou lovest. And God emphasizes the love that Abraham had for Isaac. And it's a reminder to me tonight that we can trust God with the precious things in our lives. Oftentimes, one of the hardest things at the prospect of loss is the way that it will affect our loved ones, the way that it will affect those. I think about it all the time. I think about my kids. I, I think about what it would mean if, if I was ever not here. I think about if I was to lose my wife, what it would mean for my children, them having to go through it. And I'll be honest, if you're going to live a life worth living, then there's going to be a certain amount of built-in terror at the prospect of losing the things that make life worth living. And I'm not talking about your bank account. I'm not talking about your house, your car, your clothes. Certainly there are people that make idols of those things. But I'll, I'll talk to you in the good faith to assume that the precious things in your life are not things as common as money. They, listen, there's money everywhere. They print more money every day. I, I would assume it's not those things that you're fixated on, but you probably are on your kids and your your spouse and your, your loved ones, your, maybe your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your church family, uh, the relationships you have with friends, 
and with other loved ones. And the prospect of losing those things is one of the most terrifying things in life. I think most people would acknowledge that the easiest way to walk through life would be with no connections. Because you wouldn't have to live in fear of losing those things. This was the most important thing in Abraham's life. For Isaac represented not just the heart of a father that was in in many ways fused with that of his son, but he also represented the promises and plan of God. Isaac was the most important thing in Abraham's life. And then there comes a day when that same voice that had years, 50 years earlier, had spoken to him and said, Abraham, come out of her of the Chaldees. That same voice speaks to him and says, Abraham, give up your son Isaac. Offer him upon the altar. Give him back to me. Abraham, and I'm not going to take all the time because it will come up a little later in the sermon, but Abraham, when he offers Isaac, he doesn't offer him thinking he's going to lose him. The Bible says down in, uh, let's see, verse number 19, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. He knew God could raise him up. But it was just that matter of taking that which was most precious to him and putting it out of his hands and into God's hands. And saying, God, I trust you to do what's right with this. I know that you will. And I would just have you know that there's nothing in your life so precious but what you can trust it to God. Not because He, you owe it to Him, although you do. Not because you wouldn't have it if it wasn't for Him, although that's true. But because He'll do more and do better with it than you ever could. He loves you. When are we going to get it in our head that He loves us? That he's not sitting up in heaven trying to find some loophole, some clause in the contract that gives him an excuse to be mean to you or me. He loves us. And what he does, he does for our good and for his glory. You can trust him with what? With your plans, your protection, your problems, and the precious things in life. But why can you trust him? That's an important question. Why can you trust him? Probably we'd be a lot better off in life if sometimes we'd ask that more about people and less about God. If we look at people and say, why should I trust them? And look at God and say, Lord, I know I can trust you. And let me give you three reasons why. Look back in verse number 11 again with me. The Bible says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. Why? Why did she trust him? We read that she did trust him. We read that as a result of trusting him, She was given strength to conceive seed. Why did she trust him? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She looked back over the record at this stage uh, in in their time being in the land of Canaan. They had been there, uh, let's see, about 25 years at this time. And she looks backwards at the past 25 years and says he is only ever, ever, been good to us. He has only ever kept His promises. He has only ever done exactly what He said He would. And I know this is a big thing. Maybe the biggest. But if He would keep His promises in all those things, if He would for 25 years walk with a spotless record in our lives, then why, oh why, would I think I cannot trust Him with this? See, here's the truth. 
Most people in this room can look a lot farther back than 25 years. There's a few that maybe that's about the limit. (laughs) But most in this room can look a lot farther back than 25 years and see the way that God has walked with you hand in hand, never let you down, never broken a promise to you, never done anything but what was absolutely right and best. How many times have you said to yourself, well, boy, the Lord sure knew what He was doing, didn't He? How many times have you said, well, boy, I'm glad the Lord didn't give me what I wanted. How many times have you said, well, I didn't know that was going to happen, but the Lord sure knew what He was doing in that situation. His record is spotless. There's no reason. I tell my child all the time, I would say children, soon I'll be saying that, but I tell my oldest, I tell my boy all the time, if he gets in trouble, and I'll say, well, I'm going to have to take this away from you because I can't trust you with it. And he'll say, well, I promise to do better. And I say to him, you've got to earn my trust. And he wants an immediate fix. He'll say, okay, well, I promise I'll never do it again. And I always say the same thing. You've got to earn my trust. He'll say, how? Well, I need to see you obey for a while. I need you to prove to me that I can trust you with this thing. You see, it takes credentials. And nobody has better credentials than God. Because of the precedent. Look at verse 17. The Bible says this, talking about whenever he offered up Isaac, Abraham offered up Isaac. At the end of the verse it says, He that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Let me say that we can trust him because of his precedent. We can also trust him because of his promises. And I I, I would couple with this. We can trust him because of his person. Because of his person. You see, a promise is a good thing, but it only means something in direct correlation to the character and nature of the person promising it. Every few years, and we're getting ready to come into another one next year, there'll be a whole gauntlet. Last time it was, what, 20 Republicans. I think this time it's going to be 200 Democrats running for president. Every few years, politicians get on the TV and promise absolutely everything. Listen, there's a whole political group right now that are living in a fantasy land and making promises that are just absurd. They're saying they want, you know, they want to do away with airplanes, go to high speed rails. That lady in Hawaii said, that's going to be hard on us here in Hawaii. (laughs) And she's crazy, but she got more sense than they do. They want to rebuild every house to be energy efficient, and they also want energy to be zero uh, emissions. Can I ask you a very simple question? If if there are zero greenhouse emissions from the energy that we're using, why would we need to make anything energy efficient? I, I mean, that, that's like saying we're going to save up all of our dollars, but oh yeah, we're getting away from using the dollar. They want to get rid of cows. You ain't going to get rid of cows. You're going to have to take, uh, you are not going to take my hamburgers away from me. You are not going to take the steak away from me. Talk about an uprising. They said they wanted to give a universal basic income. They said they wanted to give a living wage to everybody, regardless of whether they are able or willing to work. 
They want to give universal health care, universal college. They want to give uh, universal housing to everyone. They want to give a guaranteed job to everyone. You know why they're saying that? Because it's easy to make promises. It's easy to make promises. Here's the problem. We know they're liars. Both sides of that aisle, we know they're liars. Every single one of them, we know they're liars. So their promises don't mean anything. They're cheap. It's it, it's phony money. It's plug nickels. But when a person that you can trust makes a promise, that means something. There was a time when our country ran off of the bond of a man's word. What does the Bible say about God and His promises? In Hebrews 10.23, the Bible says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. In Hebrews, well, in Titus chapter number 1, verse 2, Paul talking about eternal life says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, the Hebrews writer says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, the unchangingness of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things... Two unchanging things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge, lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. God keeps every promise that He makes. If He lied, He could not be God. The world is framed upon the veracity of God's Word. When God created this world, He spoke it into existence. The sky is blue, the grass is green, up is up, down is down, gravity functions, by Him all things consist because God keeps His Word. We know He's faithful. We know that He's faithful, and because we know He's faithful, we know that we can trust His promises. It it is out, it it is literally, it is an impossibility. I I, I mean, it it, it is, it's sooner that the sun will turn into a snowball, that the seas will rage and burn than that God would break a promise, even the smallest. You say, well, that's good, preacher. I'm glad to know that about God. That's the God that said that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Said that to you and said that to me. That's why you can trust Him. Look at verse 19. The Bible says this, that Abraham, he gave Isaac up, he sacrificed him, accounting that God was able. Let's stop there. Now, the next words are important. To raise him up even from the dead. But we could stop at that word able and it would still be a true statement in every way, shape, fashion and form. Were there to be no qualifier, no no delimiter, no label, no modifier placed in any of that. If it was just to say accounting that God was able, that would be a sufficient statement. For there's nothing you could place after that word able that would fit. He's able to do all things. It reminds me of this. We can trust Him because of His power. Abraham said, I believe God's powerful enough to do this. I believe that He made a promise to me that Isaac was going to be the one in whom my seed was going to be called. Isaac would be the child of promise. And I don't understand why He's wanting me to sacrifice Him. But I know He's going to have to keep His promise. And I know He's able, if I kill Him, to raise Him back up. I know I'm not stepping beyond God's omnipotence. I'm not stepping into a territory 
into which God's powerful hand cannot reach. For there's no place His hand cannot reach. There's nothing beyond His power. He is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. He can do all things. That doesn't mean He will do all things. It does not mean that He will do what you hope He will do. But if He does not do it, it won't be because He's powerless to do it. It'll be because it's providential that He not do it. And because of that, because He's not limited in His power, there are a thousand things that if I could do for you, I would. Everybody suffering sicknesses, everybody with financial burdens, everybody with kids and grandkids and family members out in the world, if I could, if I could snap my fingers and fix it all, I would. But I can't. But He can. He can. Will he, preacher? I don't know if he will. But I know he can. So I know if he doesn't, it's not for the same reasons that I don't. I don't do it because I can't. But I'm also not omniscient. And I don't know all things. But if he doesn't do it, it's not because he can't, it's because he won't. And if he won't, it's because he knows what's best and what's right and he's got a better plan. You can trust him because of his power. Now here's the important question. Trust him how? Okay, preacher, you've convinced me to trust God. Now, how do I do it? Look at verse number 8 with me. The Bible says this, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, comma, obeyed. Obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. We, oh, we, we trust him, number one, in order to trust him, how we trust him, we must submit. We must obey him. Nobody living in disobedience is walking by faith. Nobody living in disobedience is trusting God. There may be some areas of life in which they're endeavoring and attempting to model or, or, or uh, submit themselves to God's Word. But as far as walking by faith, living by faith, if you're living in disobedience, you're not walking by faith. Because the only way you can walk by faith, faith responds directly to God's Word. And so if you're not obeying God's Word, it doesn't matter how much you talk about faith or sing about faith or, or preach about faith or teach about faith, if you're in disobedience, you're not walking by faith. Because faith is one of the defining qualities and characteristics of it is that it's obedience to God. It's obedience to God. We must submit. Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. Look down to verse number 9. The Bible says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. Number two, we must sojourn. I also thought about this word, be steadfast. Be steadfast. It was a good start Abraham made, but it wouldn't have meant much if he had abandoned the place that God had called him to. I'll let you in on a little secret. It's usually pretty easy to obey God in that initial call. But when you get a few miles down the road and things go a little sideways to your perspective, and things are not turning out the way that you hoped, and you're facing anxiety and adversity, and things that you never thought were going to be part of the deal, that's when walking by faith becomes challenging. It's not stepping by faith. It's not starting by faith. It's walking by faith. Don't abandon the place or the plan of God. Don't give up. You started this thing by faith. Don't give up. Keep walking with God. There will be times it's not easy. If it was easy, it wouldn't be faith. But when it gets difficult, 
Don't get nervous on God and run. If you started this thing in obedience to God, then don't change horses in the middle of a stream. Just stay there. Keep sticking in. Keep sojourning in the land. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. I thought about this passage of Scripture. You don't really have any great evidence that she did anything other than receive something. We don't have any great activity or action of faith contained here. And when you go to the other passages that detail Sarah's life, you don't find any great instances where she did things the way Abraham Abraham stepped out in faith. He dwelled in the land by faith. He offered Isaac by faith. The only thing that we're told about Sarah is that she passively received strength to conceive seed. And in that, I think we find a profound truth. To trust God, we must submit to Him and His Word. We must sojourn. Don't give up. Keep following God. But we also must cease from trying to do things in our own strength. Paul learned this lesson in a very difficult manner. When God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan sent to buffet him, and he prayed three times for God to take it away. And all three times God said, No, Paul. And the final time God made clear to Paul that he was doing more through the thorn than he could do through him being in good health. That the power of Christ was resting upon him because of his infirmity. And Paul recognized that God's grace was sufficient, that in his weakness, God's strength was magnified and glorified, made perfect. And Paul said this, when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul found at the end of his own strength, the beginning of God's strength. Or we might say it this way, Paul found at the full comprehension of his weakness, the full apprehension of God's strength. You see, Sarah, she was always making a mess of things when she was trying to do it her own way. In fact, she'd made a mess of their family. How had she done that? Well, she got tired of waiting on God. She got tired of waiting for God to do it in His timing. And so she took her handmaid Hagar and gave her to Abraham and said, conceive a child with her and we'll all be one big, happy, Brady Bunch family. Didn't happen that way. No, instead... It wrecked the family. It became a great thorn in the side of God's people. They became great persecutors, the descendants of Ishmael did, of the Jews. She made a royal mess of things because she was trying to do it in her own strength. It was not until she ceased trying to do it in her own strength that she received God's strength to conceive. This was supernatural strength. You say, how do you know that? Because she was past age. She was past age, and there's a lot we could say about it. But what God did here was a miracle. And the miracle could not take place when her own machinations and methods were implemented. Sarah had to step back and say, okay, I'm going to quit operating in my own strength. I'm going to quit trying to achieve things my way. It it was after, I'm going to cast out the bondwoman. I'm going to quit trying to do this my way. And I'm going to trust God to do it in His way. And it was then that God blessed her with the strength that she needed. It was then that God performed the miracle. In order to walk by faith, we cannot be depending upon ourselves. 
We cannot be trusting in ourselves. We cannot try, be trying to accomplish it ourselves. Now, that does not mean we need to yield to a sort of lethargic and apathetic paralysis in our circumstances. There's times that God uses our good sense, if we've got any, and common sense, which isn't very common. But there's times that God guides us when we must take the steps that He guides us in. But I'm saying, if you're trying to do this thing in your own strength, absent and, and divorced from God's strength, then don't expect to get it done. Trust Him how? Trust Him by trusting Him to do what you cannot do. Let me give you one final thing. Verse 17. The Bible says this, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. There was very little that Abraham understood about what God was doing that day that he spoke to him and said, Go up yonder mountain. Take your son. Go build an altar, Abraham. Stack the wood. Draw the blade. Offer your son. Kindle the fire. There was very little that Abraham understood that day. But he did understand a couple of very, very real, powerful truths. One, he understood that God had a plan. He didn't know what the plan was. He didn't understand how all these things were going to figure into it and factor into it. But he knew that God had a plan. Number two, he knew that God had made a promise. And that that promise, nothing, no actions, neither heaven or hell, could alter that promise. And armed with those two things, he takes his only son that he loves, carts him up the hill, and off they go. He places his son upon that altar, puts him out of his own hands and into God's hands. We must surrender if we're going to walk by faith. We must take that thing that we're guarding so carefully. Sometimes it's something that we don't want to give up that we should give up. Something. Sometimes it's a situation that we don't understand that we need to trust God with. Sometimes it's a matter of anger or bitterness over something that God's done that we don't understand. Sometimes it's a matter of seeking and endeavoring to keep our controlling hands on a matter that is beyond our ability or jurisdiction. But whatever that thing is, we have to take it, take it out of our hands, put it in God's hands, say, Lord, I trust you with this. I trust you with this. I don't trust you with this because I know you're going to do what I want you to do. I trust you with this because I know you're going to do what's right. I don't trust you with this because I think it's going to get me my way. I trust you with this because I want your way, no matter what that means. Lord, I don't trust you with this because I think you need my help. I trust you with this because I can be no help. And I need you to do this thing. It's beyond me to do. That's how you trust Him with it. Say, preacher, I've done that before. I put things on the altar and then I've still struggled with it again. Sure. Because that same flesh that follows you around 24-7, followed you to the altar, follows you back to your seat, it'll follow you home. Why would you think? Listen, there's probably things you've asked God's forgiveness of, and later on you've done them again, had to ask God's forgiveness again. So don't think just because you've tried to give things to God and found them sitting right back in your lap again, you say, preacher, did I mess up? Well, no, you're human. What do I do? Take it back and give it back to Him. Preacher, what if I have to do it a hundred times? 
then do it a hundred times. Because every time you do it, that's more time it's spending out of your hands, in God's hands. And you can't do nothing with it. But He can. He can. I, I just, I didn't even really come to preach a message. I just came to tell you, you can trust Him. You can trust Him.